All right, today, so we're going to continue through Ephesians. Uh, you, you know how this goes at Mission Church. We pick a book and we go straight through it. We're looking at the end of this section of Scripture here at verses 15 and 16 in chapter 4. We're also looking at how the church is maturing, how God is maturing the church, how God is bringing a group of individuals who may have nothing else in common together to make them into one so that that one entity can then move forward in the world and do God's work, build God's kingdom. So we have been working through this letter for a while, and I think it is always good to remind us. We do this almost every week, and this will be brief, but just to remind us that those first three chapters exist. We say it every week, but we have to remember that before we jump into do this and don't do this, it's based on our identity in Christ. It is based on what Christ has done in us and in our hearts that make us even want to carry out the do's and the don'ts. And therefore, we should want to carry out the do's and the don'ts that we see in chapters 4, 5, and 6 so that we can glorify the one that has changed our identity. We are always fighting this identity crisis. I've been a Christian for quite a while. Some of you have been Christians for way longer than I have. And I guarantee you at times, every person in this room who is a Christian fights this battle, fights this identity crisis of forgetting who we are in Christ, forgetting what Christ has done, forgetting it is finished in us, and therefore not falling back and relying on our obedience or our good deeds versus our bad deeds. A few weeks ago, I wrote in the front cover of my Bible as we were working through some of this, uh, the words, it says, identity precedes obedience, praise precedes practice, heart precedes hands, and worship precedes works. This is a product of working through Ephesians. We, we must understand that the worship of God starts before the works do any good. The, the praise of God is more important than the practice of just doing the do's and the don'ts. But the reason I put it in the front cover of the Bible is because I think we should remember that every time we read any word of Scripture. Because it is all of this Scripture, reading it, is based upon what Jesus has done, what Jesus has done in our hearts that, again, precedes our works, precedes our desire to do these things. It must come beforehand. It is the heart, the arrested heart in the throes of worship that will go out and do the work, that will go out and do and be the hands and the feet of Jesus because we want to worship him. And we know that that is how we do that, is to obediently practice our faith and to carry that out in a tangible way. And here's the thing. We shouldn't expect the world to do this. Why should the world that we see adhere to the teachings of Scripture when they don't even believe the God of the Scripture? They don't believe in him, or if they do believe he exists, they're not worshiping him, and yet we go out pointing out people's sins, being the moral police, which we'll get into a little bit today. But we fail to remember that even in our own life, the worship had to come before the works. Before I was worshiping Jesus, I could not care less that you told me I was sinning. I didn't care because I wasn't worshiping Jesus, so why am I going to do what he says, and why would I think that it matters? And yet, we forget that even in our own lives. But we also forget that this worship should and does, and if it's true worship, will unequivocally, 100% of the time, lead us to do those works. It is not an either-or situation. Well, I'm, I'm going to pick worship, and I won't do the works, since you're telling me my identity is in Christ. No, no, no. They go hand in hand. It's just one comes 
before the other. Our identity is different. Therefore, we live out the truth of our identity differently. So as we saw this play out in the last couple weeks of, of sermons, uh, this calls us to gather together as individuals, but now to gather together to form a church, to be the church, to belong to a church, to find out our giftedness, to find out how God has specifically gifted each and every one. We learned it's not a he's gifted some. He's gifted some this way, some this way, but he has gifted all. So it is our incumbent upon us to individually to learn what our giftedness is so that we can then pour that back into the corporate gathering, into the church, into the bride. And last week will kind of serve as a springboard for this. So if you have not listened to last week's sermon, I encourage you to go back and do so. But last week, we saw a specific list of gifts given. Okay, now these were given to, to upbuild the church. This list is far from exhaustive. There are many, many, many more gifts than this list gives us. But I do think that this is a strategic list that Paul chose on purpose because he knew what he was getting ready to write kind of in the next line, which is what we will talk about today. But you see, the gifts listed that Paul says are the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherds slash teachers, which we learned last week, kind of just basically go together into one category. But all of those, all four slash five of those, can fit into basically one category, if you wanted to label them this way, called truth-tellers. That's what their job is. The apostles are to tell what Jesus did. The apostles are to, to proclaim the word. The prophets are to tell about Jesus. The evangelists are to go out and to share the gospel. To, now, again, by delineating these doesn't mean, well, I'm one of these and I'm not supposed to share the gospel. We, we have to remember those things as well. We are, we are all supposed to tell the truth. But again, Paul is is trying to get at a specific thing here in the church, is how does it corporately gather to mature one another? He says these gifts were given to some so that they would then use their gifts to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Then he goes on to say that the work of the ministry is to grow the church into mature manhood so that, this is a refrain over and over, we can be firm in our faith and not tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Not falling for the wiles of the devil. Not falling for the truths of this world. So in for order that to happen, what must truth tellers be armed with? The truth. They have to be armed with the truth. This is of utmost importance. Paul makes clear over and over and over in his writings. He writes to many churches, warning them many times, don't let these these fools come in or don't be fools when these fools come in and fall for their trickery fall for their myths to fall they're going to come in and tell you different stuff and it's going to sound good but don't fall for it galatians 2 4 and 5 reminds us how we must be armed with the truth and boldly stand for that truth it says yet because of false brothers secretly brought in da 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 it says to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. They were armed with the truth. They were bold about the truth. They were unwavering about this. They were not even going to submit for even a moment. So it is no accident that right after Paul calls us away from this shallow living or following our feelings or what, however you want to phrase that, being built on a foundation that will not stand, he throws in the word rather. So he's saying, don't do this 
instead, right, to combat being blown around by every wind of doctrine, to combat acting like a child and, and going this way one minute and this way the next, to combat instead of not being firmly rooted in something, rather root yourself in the truth. It says, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way. If we are to grow up, think of a tree, it has to be rooted or the wind will blow it away. This is a perfect analogy here. How do we root ourselves to where we won't blow away? The truth. We must be about the truth. We must know the truth. Paul has been very clear in this section that the goal of the church corporately, all of these gifts, all of the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, all of everyone are to use their gifts corporately to mature us, teach us, instruct us, equip us so that we can withstand these false doctrines. However, before today, before this sentence, he's been doing that in a negative sense, saying do not instead of do. So do not be like these people. Do not be like children. Do not be blown to and fro. Look, I don't mean to insult any of the kids in here, but I live with a three-year-old. So I understand that analogy perfectly. I've seen Nora change her mind like that. And sometimes it's funny, and other times I'm like, what? what just happened here? Um, sometimes she loves me. Other times Stephanie will, con will confess she doesn't have any use for me whatsoever. It just kind of depends on the day. So Paul is telling us here, don't be like that. Don't be like children that just see a shiny object when they're doing something, and that's what they go after. It's like Nemo, right? They see a shiny object, they follow shiny object. Don't be like that. Don't be like the world. Don't follow your news feed. Because it's funny to talk about kids following shiny objects, right? But everybody in here has probably been on Facebook this week, or except Todd. He's the holy one that doesn't do it. Um, but everybody in here has probably watched the news or something and had their feelings come up about something. I hate that. I love that. And here's the thing, the world, however you want to define that, I'm not talking about Republican, Democrat, left, right, none of that. Just the world in general has gotten really, really good at making completely and utterly wrong sinful things sound okay or sound not so bad. Or they have really sound arguments that if you're not well-versed in the truth, you're going you're gonna to go, yeah. That sounds about right. Why, why shouldn't it be that way? And I'm not even going to give specific examples. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of examples that the world can package just right. And you go, yeah, I don't know how I would argue with that if someone came at me person to person and said those things to me because it, does, it sounds right. The world has gotten really, really good at it. And that is because we're inundated with these things. We've been kind of absorbing them for so long that we, it's almost like we don't even notice. Think about your week. I'm not trying to convict anyone here because I promise you I'm guilty. I can tell you in sickening detail all of the things that happened in game one of the NBA Finals. I, it, it's sad. It's pathetic. And I'm, I'm confessing to you that it is bad. But think about your week. Think about the way you spent your time. How much of it was consuming culture? Even if you were yelling at the TV telling these people how stupid they were, which I do, and Stephanie rolls her eyes at me. Okay, I'm in there like, oh, of course you would think that. And she's like, who are you talking to? The TV, the people that can't hear me. 
that probably recorded this a week. Anyway, but even if you're doing that, even if you're doing it to argue with them or to, sometimes I think we like being mad. Like I know, man, if I click on this article, it's just going to tick me off. Click. If I read the comments of this article, it's going to make me even madder. Scroll, scroll, scroll. But think about it. Even if you're bad-mouthing it, you're consuming it. You're taking it in. You are, you're being inundated with it. Now compare that with how much time you truly spent consuming God's Word. How much time you truly spent in two-way communication with God this week in prayer. Listening and talking. Not just saying, man, I hope today's a good day. But, but two-way communication. Or speaking the gospel to someone. Or pondering the gospel with someone. Or gathering with a brother and sister in Christ and just talking about what the Spirit's doing in your life. Compare the time on the first list to the time on the second one. This is what Paul is warning us about, about here in verses 13 and 14. He implores us to seek maturity and unity. He implores us to seek the truth so we are not going about with what sounds good or sounds right or is hard to argue with. Since I don't know what truth combats this lie, I just won't enter, engage with it. He's saying, no, no, no. We must be setting our foundation on something that will not change. All of these things that sound good will change maybe by tomorrow. We have to set our foundation on something that will not change. And you know, that's all great advice. Paul, thanks. Don't do that, okay? But it's a slippery slope. It's so easy to do, right? We have, and I don't mean to demean anyone that has the legitimate ADD, but we get kind of cultural ADD where we just kind of go from one place to the other, the quick, easy, more accessible fix, and we're satisfied with that until the next one, and then we just get the quick, easy, more accessible fix. So now Paul shifts to telling us in the positive what to do. So don't be these things. If you find yourself being tossed to and fro, if you find yourself being mad at your newsfeed, if you find yourself yelling at the TV, what can you do? In a world where people are just gathering people around them to agree with them, what can you do? Paul writes his brother in the faith in 2 Timothy 4. says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming <laughs> when people will not endure sound teaching but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. I, I literally can't come up with a better explanation of what's going on in America right now. That right there, written 2,000-some years ago, is exactly, people are just gathering people. They live in these echo chambers. I believe this. I'm just going to surround myself with people that also believe this. And when I say crazy things, they will nod their head yes and say, I believe that too. And I'll basically just hear my own voice echoed back to me all the time. You see how silly I look even doing this right here? I just realized I was doing that the whole time I was talking. Okay, but that's what we do. We gather around people that aren't going to call us out. They're not going to say anything that disagrees with And if they do, they don't really you know, they kind of, well, I don't think that. But it's okay that you do. You know, that's, that's your truth. Don't, don't hashtag my truth anything ever where I can see it because I'm going to call you out now. Now that I've done this study, I'm going to be like, my truth. Ain't no such thing. It's truth is truth. Anyway, so here is my fear, though, before we jump headfirst into this. My fear is that 
Christians, and I'm speaking to myself, I am speaking to Pastor Eric, who has a PhD in this stuff, a doctorate. He's Dr. E.K. Baker. All the way down to the youngest person in this room that's maybe not even read the Bible all the way through yet. My fear is that Christians have been exposed to just enough of the gospel, just enough of the truth, that they're basically inoculated to it. So when the real thing comes along, just like a vaccine, your body shoves it out, your mind shoves it. It can't be that. It can't be that harsh. It can't be that offensive. It can't be that exclusive. We got we to gotta take into consideration all this other truth over here, and it's like a vaccine that's pushing out the bad antigens or whatever, however vaccines work, Okay. We're being inoculated to it. We've got just enough to know that something's not right, but we don't know exactly what's not right. We don't have enough of it to really say what's wrong and what needs to be fixed and how to fix it. And Paul is telling us here, don't be inoculated. Be immersed. Bury yourself every chance you get in this truth. Dive in head first, no goggles, don't hold your nose, none of that weird stuff that people do when they're diving into a pool. Just jump in and be immersed in this truth. Root yourself in something, anchor yourself, tether yourself. At every opportunity, remind yourself of the truth of who you are in Christ and let that then guide your actions. This is not on my notes, so I'm going to butcher the quote. Uh, but I read something from John Piper the other day, and it said something to the effect of he has gone, he, is, he, in all of the years he has been a Christian, can't think of a day he has gone without reading his Bible. He's like, I've even been away from my wife for some days, but I've never been away from my Bible. And he said it in such a way that I was like, I'm not a Christian in any way, shape, or form. Because he was longingly talking about the Word of God and how much he immerses himself in it every single day and he went on to say if you wake up and you don't have time for bread or you have time for breakfast or the bible read your bible and i'm like sitting there eating my life cereal or whatever the heck and i'm like ah throw it away so this must be us this must be the church this must be each individual christian this is how we will all grow up and mature together this is how we will attain mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of christ that is a mouthful this is how we build up the whole body in love like it says in verse 16 we are called here in order to combat the lies that are so prevalent in the Ephesian church and in America and in the world today to speak the truth in love. Now, I did a lot of studying on this um, phrase a lot this week. I asked people, random people at the gym, you should have seen the looks I got when I said, hey, can you tell me what speak the truth in love means? Seriously, they were like, uh, I just needed a spot, so no. But I did get a few answers. I asked Christians. I asked non-Christians. Uh, I looked at the Greek. I read blogs. I read commentaries. I listened to sermons. I listened to podcasts. I learned a lot one way or another, whether it was, I definitely don't believe that one, or yes, that one sounds about right, is the vast majority of people look at this as a, as a quote-unquote negative thing. So when you have to go tell somebody something they don't want to hear, you speak the truth in love. You're respectful. I heard that word a lot. Listen first. I heard that a lot. Uh, speak with your mind and not your heart, which anyway, uh, just lots of, lots of basically if you have to deliver bad news, you do it this way kind of talk, okay? And 
here's the thing. I'm not, I'm not saying that is not part of what Paul is saying. Of course, if you have to call somebody out or rebuke somebody, yes, we, we, we want to do that respectfully. But he's saying so much more here. That, that is definitely not all he is saying. Man, if you've got to call somebody out, just do so respectfully. That would be a short sermon, first of all, so we'd be done already. But I think most people think of speaking the truth in love the way you speak to a dog. Hear me out. You can say anything to a dog if you say it in the right tone, right? Hey, you're a, who's a good boy? Who's the, who's, come here, get your treat. <laughs> who's a bad boy? You're the worst dog I've ever seen. You are just, I, nobody loves you. I don't even know why we keep you around. I love Lucy, by the way. I, I'm not thinking of, I didn't know Jen and Jason were going to be here like this morning. I used this example. Okay, who's the worst dog ever? You're just so terrible. <laughs> it's the same reaction. They don't care as long as you use the right tone, right? That's what people think of when they think of speaking the truth in love. Just use the right tone. Doesn't matter if you're, if you're mad, just don't show them you're mad. If you're sad, don't let them know you're sad. It just respectfully, gently, all of these things. And again, not completely wrong. I'm not saying that's wrong, it's just incomplete. It's not the whole meaning here. Paul is talking about something positive here. He is saying, speak the truth in love so that you will mature together, so that this positive reaction will happen, not just so you can agree to disagree and move on with your life and not be mad about it. It is so you will grow in the fullness of Jesus. Now, as part of that, calling sin out in the church? Absolutely, you got to do that. If you see sin in the church, especially continued sin, unrepentant sin, yes, it is unloving to not call that out. Should we do so humbly, gently, and patiently, as it tells us in verses 1 through 3? 100% absolutely yes. We should never go to a brother and sister in Christ and just disrespect them because they are doing something we don't like. Especially if it's not a sin issue. I don't even know if you should bring those up. But if it's a sin issue, you should still do so humbly, gently, and patiently. But there is so much more to this. Paul is contrasting this with the thought and the idea of being tossed around the sea when a storm blows up and with children who change their minds so easily. And what is Paul's antidote to that? What is his answer to that? The truth. We must speak the truth. It doesn't say speak true things. Because I can do that all day long. It doesn't say speak some truth. It says speak the truth truth the truth that is not going to change no matter what society does the truth that is not going to be true today and not true tomorrow I overstudied this word this week I learned some incredibly interesting things so here's here's where I'm going to ask you to put your thinking caps on we're going to do a couple of things and then we're going to jam them all together okay that's all I'm asking this is where pastor Eric says we're going to nerd out for a minute so that's what we're going to do Okay, you see the word for truth, appear, it appears over and over in the New Testament, as one might imagine. The word truth is in the New Testament a lot. Most notably, in John 14, 6, when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father but by me. He says, I am the only way. I am the only pathway to God. If you want to get to God, you're looking at him. That's it, okay? Same root word here in Ephesians. Now, the root word, I'm going to... Pastor Todd, forgive me. I'm going to butcher this. The word for truth is aletheia here in Ephesians. It's not exactly how you pronounce it, but it's close enough. The root word for that word is lanthano. Again, just bear with me. 
In the Greek, adding an A to the front of a root word usually just means we're going to make the opposite of it, right? Think of this. Pathos means passion. Apathos means apathy. So you got passion, apathy, two ends of the spectrum. All you did was really add an A. There's some other things going on in the Greek. I get it. Before anybody sends me an email, I get it. But basically speaking, okay? So the word lanthano means to conceal, to hide. The word aletheia, so you add an A to it, just means the opposite of that, and it is to reveal, to no longer conceal. So Paul is saying, if you want to grow in maturity, if you want to grow in the fullness of Christ, you can no longer conceal these things. You can no longer conceal something. Now I was diving further into this word, truth. I went to Bible Gateway, it's a great website if you're wanting to study the Bible in any way shape or form you can type in like my dog Skippy and it'll give you a verse that somehow biblically applies to my dog Skippy I don't it, it's crazy but I went there typed in the word truth and in the New Testament there are 93 instances of the word truth found in the New Testament so I was thinking about Paul wants us to reveal something he wants us to no longer conceal something in love what is it he wants us to no longer conceal what is this truth that he may or may not be speaking of here so then I typed in the word gospel into the Bible gateway website hit enter anybody want to guess how many times that word appears in the New Testament 93 it's the exact same number now some people would go hey what a coincidence and I would go, I don't really believe in coincidences. And that is an odd number for both of those words to show up exactly. It's almost as if God is wanting us to see clearly here that the gospel truth is foundational for all other truth. All other true things flow from the fountain that is the gospel. That is the fact that Jesus lived, Jesus died, and Jesus was resurrected. And if that's true then we have to respond to that truth in some way, shape, or form. All of us in this room, all of us in this world. Every person has to respond to that because it is true. Not because it's a belief. Not because it's what our parents taught us to believe. Because it is a true fact. We must be or not concealing this truth. Hang on, we're almost done. And looking at the context of the word in Ephesians, speaking... It's not exactly the most accurate translation. It's about as close as they can get. But scholars across the board, no one disagreed with this in all of the reading I did this week, agree that the most accurate rendering would be truthing in love. Most, most of you, probably not all, but most of you know that's not a real word. Truthing in love, though, is a term that would mean to live out, to maintain, to do, to work out the truth, right? To, to do something. It is a very action-oriented word that includes speaking, but it includes all of these other things. So if we want to grow in the fullness of Christ, he is saying that we must truth one another to death, basically. Just continually say the truth. Okay, if you combine this, all the way back from the beginning, John 14, 6, then you see that Paul, led by the Holy Spirit, is saying here that the antidote for immaturity and this feeling-based living is to instead live out the gospel, live, breathe, speak, model, be about, maintain, do nothing outside of, be blanketed in the gospel. This truth is what we are to be speaking in love. 
but our whole lives should be about it. It shouldn't just be our words, and it shouldn't be absent of our words. I'm glad they translated it as speaking, because that removes the loophole that some people want to go, well, I'm just going to live out the gospel and hope people notice that it's Jesus. They won't, okay? Spoiler alert, it's never going to happen. Because one, we're terrible at living out the gospel. And two, I know a lot of good people that ain't got nothing to do with Jesus, okay? Speak the words of the gospel. So I'm glad that that's how they translated it here. But it's really quite simple. Paul is saying that this truth, this gospel, is foundational. We must build our entire house upon it. He is saying here that all truth, if it is to be true, must be founded in the truth. So if Jesus did live... If Jesus did die, if Jesus was resurrected, now what? And that goes for believers and non-believers. Every person in here should be asking themselves that question right now, even if you've been a believer your whole life. Now what? Now what do I do? Now how do I carry this out? How do I truth in love as I go from this place, as I interact with people in this room, as I do any and everything in my life, everything should be blanketed in my response to this truth, to this gospel. We must live out the gospel so that it, this truth can be revealed, can no longer be concealed to the world and to each other. We must constantly be calling others to believe this truth and for brothers and sisters to live out this truth if they are not accurately doing so. And we do all of that in love. See, it is this truth and only this truth that will convict sinners and make them believers. Romans 1.16 is very clear. The gospel is the power of salvation for all those who would believe. Not our presentation of it. Not if we did, the right, did it right, did it wrong. Romans wrote all of these. That, the gospel. Jesus lived. Jesus died, Jesus was resurrected. If you get those three points, now, is there more to it? Yes. Are they going to have questions? Yes. Should you be equipped to answer those questions? Yes. Jesus lived in our place, died in our place, was resurrected. Now what are you going to do? That's, that's what we have to carry out to a lost and dying world and to a saved, saved bride, a saved family. It is this message of Jesus that will save people but we must be going about truthing in love so that people will see, hear, know, and live this gospel. The church is called to this maturity. And the best way you can mature in Christ is to know Christ, to know Jesus, to know the gospel, to be well-versed in the good news of Christ, to dive deeper and deeper into this church so that you may know it backwards and forwards. If I see you have a conversation with someone, and I'm never going to do this, so don't be afraid, but, and then I do go up to you and say, hey, did you share the gospel with that person? I didn't have time. Should have been on the forefront of your lips to where you just couldn't even contain it. I've met this person. I'm talking to this person. I'm sharing the gospel with this person. Hey, you and, I saw you and your brother in Christ talking for a few minutes. What did y'all talk about? Sports? Talk about Jesus? It should be on the forefront of our minds so much that it's almost impossible to even, and please hear me do this all the time. I have many conversations with many people about many things that don't involve Jesus. So I am confessing and convicted here, but it should be on the forefront of everything that we do, so much so that we are just immersed in Jesus, immersed in this gospel. If we are speaking this truth, then we are calling them to repentance. We're not calling them to behave differently. The world does not care what your Bible says right now if they're not a believer and they tell you 
I don't believe what you believe. And then you go, well, you really shouldn't be living with your girlfriend or having sex outside of marriage or whatever else, smoking pot, whatever it is, right? They're going to go, okay, it's working for me, though. See ya, right? But if you tell them, man, a God, a God man died in your place for what you're doing right now. So you don't have to change that to earn something from him. You just have to trust in what he did. That's a different call to repentance. That's a different call to change behavior. That's not just saying, hey, change your whole life around something I believe that you really don't. Because I wouldn't do that either if someone came up to me. Someone comes up to me and says, hey, the Quran says this. Okay, like, what do I care? We're armed with the truth. So we must speak the truth in love so that people will repent. Scripture is not calling us to just speak things that are true. It may be true that I don't like your shoes. I can even tell you I don't like your shoes in love because I don't want you walking around looking like a moron. That does not mean what Paul is saying here. That is not what he's saying. He's not saying just speak true things. Preferences don't really care. Now, can we talk about them? Yes, but that's not, don't, don't bring this scripture up when you bring it, bring it to me, okay? You can talk to me about your preferences all day long. Just don't reference this scripture because this is not what it's talking about. It is calling us to speak the truth, the gospel, because that is the only truth that will save those who are not Christians and the only truth that will sanctify those who are. John 17, 17. This is Jesus praying himself to God about his disciples who were there and who were to come. So that includes literally everyone that becomes a Jesus follower in all of time. It says, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. What we must come to realize is this is not something we mature past. When we are calling the church to maturity, it is not, okay, we've heard the gospel. Now, can we get to the deeper theological things? Can we get to the cultural things? How do I engage an atheist? The gospel. How do I engage a believer who disagrees? With Same answer. You're, I can give you all kinds of scenarios. I'm not going to bore you with those. The gospel is the answer to all of those. Now, that doesn't mean you just keep repeating the same words. It is how does the gospel then apply to those things? Okay, that's why we must be well-versed in the word of God. But the good news that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us so that we could be reconciled back to God is the answer that will mature us as an individual and as a group. You want to be more like Jesus? Speak the gospel in love to yourself. Gather those around you who will speak the gospel in love to you when you mess up and when you're doing well. Because neither one of those are about you. It's all about Jesus. This is the truth that sanctifies us, makes us more like Jesus. May we never tire of looking into the gospel. May we constantly be pursuing how the gospel of Jesus applies to each and every inch and crevice of our life. You want more people to come to know Jesus? Speak the gospel. Live the gospel. Maintain the gospel. Reveal the gospel. And as we do so, do so in love. Love must be our motivation, our intention, our motive here. If you're doing it to win an argument, I mean, Paul says that whether in rivalry or conceit, right, at least the gospel was proclaimed. So I'm not going to pat you on the back, but somebody might get saved. Okay, so if you're doing it to win an argument, I guess go ahead and do it. But that's not the way God is intending us to do it. 
God is intending us to do this from a place of love. The word Paul uses here for speak in love is agape. Now, a few weeks ago, Pastor Todd went through all of those forms of love. Again, it's from Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. Go back and listen to that as well. But agape is this idea of unconditional love. It is used most of the time as love from which God loves us. He loves us unconditionally. He does all of these things. He, agape, loves us. But again, put this together. We are to be so filled with the love of Christ, the love by which God loves us, that it literally overflows out of us into everyone we come in contact with, even ones we don't like, even ones we disagree with. We must speak the truth in love. And the way we know if that is true or not is if we are willing to then speak the gospel to them because we know that is the only way they will be saved or sanctified. We are willing to step into the awkward. We are willing to step into the painful and unpleasant, whether they're a believer or not, because we love them and we don't want to see the path that they are on come to fruition. Do you truly love people? Do you love people enough to enter into that awkward? Do you really care that people are going to an eternal torment away from God? Are you pretty much okay that you're not going there? Because I'm guilty of that sometimes. I mean, I'm good. I hope he comes to saving faith. I'm not going to go out of my way to go talk to him. I'm not going to go out of my way to pray with him. As an example of this, I want to share a story that I asked permission to share. Some of you may know that uh, Leanne Crosby lost an uncle recently. Some of you may not know that, but either way. Todd, and I can identify with this as being kind of the token Christian. Uh, you're asked to pray at everything. You're asked to, it, it. So Todd was asked to pray. He said, okay. Then he was asked to read scripture. <laughs> okay. Then it just kept escalating to basically where Todd ran the whole show. He was the Barnum and Bailey of a funeral yesterday, running all of it. For a man that he knew, but didn't know great, and without going into every detail, Todd was quite certain that there would be quite a few, if not almost all, non-believers there outside of the few people he did know very well, his wife being one of them. So Todd was asked to speak in this environment about a man that, he didn't, that also did not claim that we know of to be a Christian. Now Todd could have taken the easy way out here. Could have read Psalm 23 few pithy comments about God's love and prayed and moved on with his life. But see, Todd actually loves people, probably better than a lot of people in this room, to be quite honest. He actually cares about the eternal destiny of people, even the ones in the room that he didn't really know. He cared. He loved them. He, he could have easily said any number of things to these people, but he, he texted us a couple of days before and asked for us to pray for him as he was preparing for this. And he didn't say a word about, I hope I speak well, or I don't look foolish, or I've never done a funeral before, I, just, I don't even know what I'm really getting into, which also was true. Like, he just prayed that the gospel would be proclaimed through his, a weak, he called himself a weak vessel. He asked us to pray that God would soften the hearts of the people that God already knew would be there, because we don't know who's going to be at a funeral so that they would then come to believe the gospel. Because he knew he was getting ready to proclaim the gospel, the true saving gospel of Jesus, to a bunch of people that may have hated him for it. He doesn't know how they're going to react. Now, 
Luckily, I got to hear some more of the story, which I'm not going to tell, but he did have a really great conversation afterward. I, encourage, I highly encourage you to go talk to him about it because it is awesome. Um, but Todd knew that the truth, the gospel, has the power to save those people. Todd loves people. He's not resting on the fact that he is okay and that if that had been his funeral, he would have been rejoicing with God. No, he's going to use his days to care for people that he thinks may be on their way to hell. In love, he shared with them the truth yesterday. Now, we, again, we don't know exactly what seeds were planted and weren't. It's not on us. But we know that God promises that his words will not return void. We know that they will do all that he has sent them to do. So we speak those words. I saw a quote from Al Mohler Jr. yesterday. It said, our responsibility is to get God's word to their ears. Only God can get the word from their ears to their heart. We must speak these words. We must live these words. We must reveal this truth. Do you love people enough to tell them the truth? If we truly believe this truth, if we truly believe the gospel, then we can no longer keep quiet about it. We cannot. This is mutually exclusive. I love people, but I'm not going to share the gospel with them. Those two things do not go together. Either you hate those people or you don't know the gospel. Those two things cannot, you cannot say I love people, but I'm not sharing the gospel with them. I'm not going to speak the words of the truth of the gospel to them. We must be willing to speak the truth in love because of the, the love that we have received from Christ. We must be so overfilled with the gospel that it literally prohibits us from keeping our mouth shut. And the only way that kind of filling up is going to happen is if we continue to strive for it in the church. If we continue to hear it from our brothers and sisters in Christ. The only way that is going to happen is if we continue to look longingly into the gospel so that we can call each other to also look longingly into the gospel. And just when you think, okay, I've heard this, I've plumbed the depths of the gospel, dive even deeper into it because it should never get old. May this truth never grow tired in our brains or in our minds. The Bible tells us that even angels are looking at this truth Eternal beings that God, yes, created, but they are living forever, worshiping Him. Even they are enthralled by the gospel, by the fact that God could save sinners. May we never think that we have somehow graduated past the elementary truth of the gospel. May the fact that Christ, the God-man, gave up His place in heaven, seated beside the Father, came to this place to live as one of us, but to do so perfectly, to fulfill the law of his Father, to be accused, beaten, mocked, scorned, and killed upon a bloody and used cross, only to be buried for three days, and then defeated death by being raised three days later by the Father, making it possible for us to be reconciled back to the very Father that, left, that he left to come do this, and the very same Father that is going to send him back to gather his bride so that we can then go meet that Father face to face. If that is old to you today, if that is stale to you today, I ask you, I beg you to check your heart. I I beg you that as as I was going through that, if any part of you was like, yeah, okay, Jesus died, we get it. And a lot of you are thinking, I would never do that, but we do it. Christmas rolls around, I've heard it. Jesus is born, get it. Easter rolls around, okay, he's resurrected, I get it. it. May it never ever grow stale 
to us. May the worship of Jesus never grow stale to us. May we think that we never need to hear or speak the truth, the basics of the gospel again, because we need to hear it every single day, if not multiple times a day, that my life is now given to the one who died in my place, and he is worthy of that. So how does that make it play out? It is this truth that will save. It is this truth that will sanctify as John 8.32 says, it is this truth that will set us free from the bondage of sin, free from the slavery of this world. May we love people enough to have these words on repeat in our lives. May we go about truthing in love so much that even if people don't agree with us after we talk to them, they can at least go, but that brother loves me. I don't know why, but he loves me. He loves me enough to tell me that story, to tell me that truth. Because you see here, it's not kindness that will save or sanctify. It is not calling out sin that will save or sanctify. It's not fitting into culture. It's not social justice. It's tr not treating others the way we want to be treated. It is not being tolerant, so not to offend. And it's also not trying to offend on purpose. It is how does the gospel inform everything that I just said? How does the gospel inform me how to be kind? How does the gospel inform me how to call out sin? How does the gospel inform me not to fit into culture, but to engage with culture so that they hear the truth of this word? It is loving Christ so much that it then makes us love others so much that it makes us speak, live, and do this gospel in the hopes that God would then save them and they would join us as we move forward corporately as a church. You see, love must undergird all of this. It's loving Christ that will cause us to love others. So let us continually look to this gospel in order to grow more and more in love with Jesus. And then let that growth compel us to go love others, to go speak this truth to others. Because it is this truth, it is this gospel that will save, sanctify, mature, grow, convict, redeem, change, and reveal Christ that will build up the church, that will change culture, that will change lives, that will change souls, that will change hearts into more and more worshipers of Jesus. Do we love people enough to do this? Do we love Jesus enough to do this? Let us strive for this type of maturity. May that happen here. May we beg God to do that here at Mission Church so then it goes out from Mission Church to a lost and dying world because the gospel is what we'll save. Let's pray.